0: Hello everyone, this is Vartalk again, your guest host to Trexan Sci-Fi episode number 260, which will be a special music and sci-fi segment, but not just any segment. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about John Towner Williams, America's composer. Yes, that John Williams. However, before getting started, let me first wish a very happy New Year 2010 to all Treks and sci-fi fans around the world. Second, lest I forget, let me thank Rico for allowing me to provide this guest podcast, since it will be a great opportunity to showcase John Williams, my very favorite composer, who is also an arranger, orchestrator, pianist, and conductor. I have been thinking of volunteering to do this guest cast ever since Rico started allowing guest hosts, But I held off until I could do justice to this man that I truly admire so much. John Williams, Jr. was born on February eighth, 1932, so he is coming up on his 78th birthday shortly. And yet, here is a man whose career now spans six decades. How many of you think you will still be performing at a level of worldwide acceptance anywhere near that long? Mostly, John is known for composing some of Hollywood's most famous film scores, such as Star Wars, Superman, Home Alone, Indiana Jones, several of the Harry Potter films, and others. However, during this podcast, I'm going to attempt to cover his early years right up on through to the present. If I sneak a bit over the hour length for this podcast, then you will hopefully understand. John was born in Floral Park, New York, to Esther and John Williams Sr. I am guessing that in order to reduce confusion with John Sr., he went by Johnny Williams for quite a few years, and you can find his name listed this way for some of his work all the way up to 1968 when he composed Lost in Space. There is a good chance that music was destined to be in John's life as his father was a jazz drummer for the Raymond Scott Quintet. And at age six, he set foot on a scoring stage for Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm at 20th Century Fox, accompanying his father. In 1948, the Williams moved to Los Angeles, where John attended North Hollywood High School, where he graduated in 1950. He later attended the Los Angeles City College and UCLA. However, in 1952, John was drafted into the United States Air Force where he conducted and arranged music for the Air Force Band as part of his duties. Three years later, in 1955, on leaving the Air Force, Williams moved to New York City and entered the famous Juilliard School, where he studied piano. During this time, he worked as a jazz pianist at New York's many studios and clubs. He also played for composer Henry Mancini, another household name composer. Williams recorded with Henry Mancini on the film's soundtracks of Peter Gunn in 1959, Days of Wine and Roses, 1962, and Charade in 1963. And get this, he was known as Little Johnny Love Williams in the early 1950s and served as arranger and bandleader on a series of popular albums with singer Frankie Lane. When I found out that John played the piano for Peter Gunn, I reached into the Vartok LP archives with glee and found a 1956 recording where you can hear the jazz pianist John T. Williams, as he had noted on the sleeve, playing the piano riffs early in this recording. So please enjoy this track. John's life, let me mention that he was married to actress Barbara Ruick from 1956 until her death on March 3rd, 1974. They had three children together, Jennifer in 1956, Mark born in 1958, and Joseph born in 1960. Now, here is a fact that you may not know. His youngest son, Joseph Williams, was a former lead singer for the band Toto. His daughter, Jenny Williams, is a singer. John married his second wife, Samantha Winslow, on July 21, 1980, six years after the death of his first wife. As a pianist, John even appeared on four early TV shows. He was also serving as a session pianist, working with rising composers like Jerry Goldsmith and as an arranger. So even though John Williams has been America's composer for the last 30 years, his career started out slowly. However, it kept building and building towards the top. It wasn't gonna be long before he started composing his own scores. And in 1958, John composed his first movie score, a B-movie called Daddy-O, which is probably only known today for being one of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes. Between 1958 and 1968, John Williams scored nearly all of his television series music, including episodes for Playhouse 90 in 1956, Tales of Wells Fargo in 57, M Squad in 58-59, Bachelor Father 59-60, Wagon Train from 1959 to 1963, Craft Mystery Theater in 1961, Checkmate in 1960-62, The Wide Country in 62, Empire in 1962, Kraft Suspense Theater in 63 to 65, and even some Gilligan's Islands episodes. He also scored music for a number of not-so-well-known movies and made-for-TV movies, mostly under the name of Johnny Williams. Then, in 1965, he composed what I consider to be his first sci-fi music, with this comedic rendition to Lost in Space from Season 1. Danger, Will Robinson. has been described as cartoonish by scott Betancourt over at film score monthly who penned a really nice six-part timeline about john williams and who was one of my principal resources for this podcast lost in space which ran for three seasons was created and produced by Irwin allen the so-called master of disaster and who would return to john for music time and again in the future Now compare this more mature Lost in Space version that John composed for Season 3. I have to admit, I like the Season 3 version better. Currently, you can watch all 83 episodes of Lost in Space on Hulu. In between those two versions of Lost in Space, John composed another sci-fi track with the main theme for the short-lived TV series, The Time Tunnel, in 1966. Project TikTok is a top-secret U.S. government effort to build an experimental time machine known as the Time Tunnel. Two American scientists are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during the first experiments on America's greatest and most secret project, the Time Tunnel. Tony Newman and Doug Phillips now tumble helplessly toward a new fantastic adventure somewhere along the infinite corridors of time. The Time Tunnel was in some ways a forerunner to later TV series such as Quantum Leap, Stargate SG-1, and Sliders. Apparently, you can see all 30 episodes of The Time Tunnel on Hulu. Erwin Allen once again topped John Williams to compose the main theme for the science fiction television program called Land of the Giants, which ran from 1968 to 1970, the fourth of Allen's science fiction TV series. Set in the then-future year of 1983, this series tells the tale of the crew and passengers of a suborbital transport spaceship called the Spindrift. In the pilot episode, the Spindrift encounters a strange space storm and then is transported to a mysterious planet where everything is 12 times larger than its counterpart on Earth. The Spindrift crew calls the inhabitants the Giants. Given relative proportions shown on the show, Giants are about 72 feet tall. Everything on their planet is built to their skill. Buildings, cars, animals, etc. The spindrift crashes on this planet and becomes inoperable, of course. And currently you can watch all 51 episodes of Land of the Giants on Hulu. By now John Williams was recognized, but not quite on the A-list for composers. The year 1968 did see his first Oscar nomination for adapting Andre and Dory Previn's songs for the 1967 film Valley of the Dolls, and in 1968 he received his first Emmy for the remake of Heidi, the infamous film that cut short the Jets-Raiders football game on TV so that the movie could start on time. Even Vartok remembers that incident 40-plus years later. In 1969, it is said that John was fully established with his scores of the film The Reavers, based upon the William Foctor novel of the same name. In 1969, he also scored Goodbye Mr. Chips, and both films resulted in Oscar nominations, the first year that John would receive two nominations in the same year. Now, Getting two nominations in the same year would be a great honor for any composer. But for John, this would occur with almost clockwork regularity over the next three and a half decades. You may have noted that this music can be described as Americana in style and themes. And so we see that John Williams can compose music of all types. He has done jazz music in the vein of Henry Mancini, comedic music, Americana and copland styles, and stirring symphonic music. And now, for much of his film music of the last 30 to 40 years, his style is going to be a form of neo-romanticism, inspired by large-scale orchestral music of the late 19th century, with its concepts of leitmotifs and the frank expression of personal sentiments. John Williams' first Academy Award was earned in 1971 for his musical adaptations, orchestrations, and conducting of the original music by Jerry Block to... The Fiddler on the Roof, the one where you may remember with Topal playing the star role of Tevye. That's not Topal from Enterprise. Remember that I mentioned Irwin Allen previously? Now it was time for John's involvement with disaster films. In 1972, John composed the music to the Irwin Allen film The Poseidon Adventure, and in 1974, The Towering Inferno. With Mark Robson as director, he composed the score for Earthquake, also in 1974. And in addition, in 1974, John became involved with a young director named Steven Spielberg, who was directing his first theatrical feature film. Spielberg had been impressed with John's score to The Reavers and convinced John that he could provide the sound to The Sugarland Express, a film based upon a true story about a husband and wife trying to outrun the law. Spielbergs and William teamed up again in 1975 for a huge blockbuster thriller. Let me see if you can guess the name of this Watershed film in motion picture history, and then let's hear Treks and sci-fi listener Ryan's comments about the music.
1: Rico, and a special hello to Vartok. My name's Ryan. Um, I'm a, about a year and a half long listener for Atrex uh, and Sci-Fi, and I really do love your show, Rico, um, especially the little tidbits and sections when you always talk about the score or an artist or composer, because out of the... 5,000 songs on my iPod. About 3,000 of them are all soundtracks. I'm not talking about the music heard in the film. I'm talking about the score, the meat of the movie. John Williams, James Horner, uh, to name a few. Hans Zimmer. You know, I'm not going to go on forever. But I'm very happy to hear that you're going to be doing a John Williams special next week. And um, you know, I'm responding to your little ad here to talk about your favorite John Williams song or album. Well. Call me nostalgic, but my favorite album from John Williams has to be Jaws. Um, growing up on Cape Cod, knowing where the movie was filmed, has always had a little sense of, of coolness to the film, but I think Jaws is really the the... the best showcase of a film for, you know, students of film or just anybody who appreciates movies, the best film to show when it comes to how the score can really enhance the movie. I mean, everybody who's anybody knows what the Jaws theme is. It's not just that, though. I mean, the section where they're chasing down the shark, the the monologue that Quint gives, the little faint score that John Williams gives in the background, um, the the montage monologue as it's called on the soundtrack where all the tourists are are coming to the island which I've done myself obviously um, but my favorite section of all in that movie um, and my favorite moment of any soundtrack out of all the stuff that I have has to be the ending where you know Brody is on the top of that that um, the mast on the top of the orca quince just been eaten he has no idea where hoop is this guy is on his own and he has a rifle and a friggin boat hook and he's going up against that shark mono we mono but i challenge anybody to listen to that to that score that section or at least watch the end of the movie it's the last five minutes of the movie and not you know kneel forward and put your 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 fingers in your teeth and just bite them down no matter how many times you've seen this movie the ending just gets to you you know you're like you're really rooting for for, for Brody, um, being of the great classics of cinema. Jaws is an amazing movie. Everything about that film is perfect, especially the score. Um, There are a lot of great, great John Williams soundtracks. Everything he does is great, but there are a lot of amazing soundtracks from him. Um, A forgotten one is Hook you know, Schindler's List, um, Cadillac of the Skies is is a great track. I'm not going to tell anybody listening to this the name of the album, but look it up and listen to it, and don't get emotional by it. I challenge you. Um, Well, thank you, Bartok and Rico, for listening to this. Um, This is Ryan from Cape Cod signing out, and hope you guys have a good New Year. Thanks for listening.
0: Yes, that was Jaws. Based upon the Peter Benchley novel about police chief Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, marine biologist Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss, and Krusty Shark Hunter Quint, played by Robert Shaw. Jaws is considered to be the father of the summer blockbuster movie and one of the greatest films of all time. The music earned John Williams his second Academy Award and his first for original score. And thanks to those comments from Ryan. At this point in John Williams' career, he was composing film scores for movies with names most of you will recognize. In 76, he provided the music to Family Plot, The Missouri Breaks, and Midway. However, in order to complete this podcast in any sense of timing, I'm going to have to not even name them all, and I recommend you visit the IMDB database online to get a full appreciation for how prolific this man has been. Now, by way of recommendation from Steven Spielberg, Fellow director George Lucas needed a score for his upcoming space epic. Williams, complied, with a grand symphonic score in the fashion of Richard Strauss and Golden Age composers Eric Korngold and Max Steiner, and the rest, they say, is history.
2: Hello, my name is John Williams, the London Symphony Orchestra has been the greatest contributor to film music of any orchestra, I think, in the world. The first uh, connection that I had with the LSO was, I think, Star Wars, I think that's right. And I remember pairing the score, 20th Century Fox, here in Hollywood, saying to the late music director Lionel Newman, uh, that I thought the score actually should have a symphony orchestra. We need to have of that proportion and we would normally have, have engaged freelance players to do that as we would do in Hollywood typically. And I remember Lionel Newman saying to me, well, why not get an established, credited, well-known orchestra? Why not the London Symphony? How wonderful. Could they possibly be available to do a thing like this? And we rang them up, and, and it was a miraculous find to discover that there, was time, there could be time in their schedule to, to, uh, to do a series of recordings like this. I think I remember the very first day of recording the main title of Star Wars, the very opening notes with a great trumpet blast from Morris Murphy, the famous trumpeter. My relationship with the LSO, which has gone on now for some years, and I hope it will continue for quite a good long time.
3: Well, hello, Vartok. This is Rico, and I uh, just wanted to uh, first thank you for doing this special podcast on John Williams' just amazing career in, in music. Uh, he's just uh, been one of my favorites for a long time, and I thought I'd send you a couple of comments about uh, some of my favorite pieces that he's done. I'd say probably the, the biggest and the most favorite is the score he did for the Empire Strikes Back. I, I just felt that that was such a great follow-up to what he had done and the amazing work on Star Wars. I especially like the Yoda's theme, the Imperial March, and the love theme, the, the Han and Leia love theme from Empire. It's just a great score and, and definitely one of my favorites. I also, of course, really enjoy his work for Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I, I covered on the podcast, uh, that film a few weeks back that is another favorite uh, and i also enjoy what he did on the lost in space tv series i'm not sure how much if or or you're going to mention that uh, or if you stick into his film music i'm sure you'll be very comprehensive and talk about that a little bit but yeah those three things really stick out of my mind of course i enjoy his work in just about every uh, film that he's done it it, one thing I really like about John Williams is he, he does amazing work, but it really doesn't sound you know so much like him each time. He really creates a unique sound, I think, for each of the projects he works on, and I, I really like that. So anyway, thanks very much for doing this, and uh, that's all I had to say. This is Rico signing off, and thanks again, Vartok.
0: Rico, thanks for your input and insight into the Star Wars music, which I know is a favorite of yours and a few others. In 2005, the American Film Institute voted the Star Wars score as the greatest film score of all time. John is also on the list for number 6 for Jaws and number 14 for E.T. the Extraterrestrial. John won his third Academy Award for Star Wars. The William Spielberg collaboration continued in 1977 was a film about Roy Neary, played by Richard Dreyfuss, an Indiana electrical lineman whose life changes after he has an encounter with an unidentified flying object. However, the United States government is also aware of the UFOs, as is a team of international scientific researchers. Now let's listen to Rick Moyer's comments about Close Encounters of the Third Kind.
4: Hey, everybody at Trexan Sci Fi. This is Rick Moyer, Moyer777 from the forums and the host of Take Him With You. And I wanted just to very quickly say hi to you, Vartok. Thanks for doing the special on John Williams. What an amazing composer, conductor, um, just an amazing all around guy. I mean, some of the are my best childhood memory music is by him. Boiling down, my favorite ever from him. I, I mean, because there's so many Star Wars and Jaws and all these things. I think probably my favorite though, and I used to play it constantly on the band room piano, and anywhere else I could get myself uh, on a keyboard. Uh, in fact, I even I even have it right here. I could I could play it for you. You'll know what it is. I'll never forget this. <laughs> I just love close encounters of the third kind when that ship was hovering and they had the big panel out there with all the lights on it and they responded back and forth by musical tones was one of the coolest moments um, in cinematic history as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of it is due in part by the music of John Williams. So there you go. Vartok. Thanks for doing this show. That's my favorite close encounters of the third kind. something.
0: Rick, I was going to go find and record those five notes just for this podcast, but you clairvoyantly understood the importance of those five notes and provided them yourself. Thanks. It is interesting to note that if John had not won the Academy Award for Star Wars, he probably would have won it for Close Encounters. In 1978, John provided the score for Jaws 2 and then became involved with director Richard Donner in order to bring The Man of Steel to the big screen. Although the music was once again in the vein of Star Wars, it was original and exciting and deservedly one of his most popular works. Let's listen to Simon Medding's take on Superman.
5: This is Meds, otherwise known as Hawkeye Meds, on the checks in Sci-Fi's forums. And as you can tell by the music in the background, the score that I wanted to talk about briefly is the main theme from Superman. I've always been a huge Superman fan. It was one of the first films I remember my mum and dad taking me to see, which is actually Superman 2. I still remember it to this day. I've actually talked about it on one of Rico's podcasts. But the, the score is just absolutely magnificent. The uh, Every time I hear it, it makes me want to go and watch the film the hair stand up on the back of my, my neck. Uh, I've actually got it on my iPod at work and I don't mind admitting that uh, when I hear it I I think about when I was a, a little kid and I used to wear my Superman outfit on, uh, underneath my shirt and uh, we, it was a stud shirt thankfully. Well, my mum would have gone mad about her buttons that I would have uh, been torn up. And I always remember playing it and tearing my shirt open and even now every time I hear it I go back and think of that, uh, that time when I was a kid. Um, it's an awesome theme tune it really is I think it's, it's up there with his with Star Wars composers and also the Indiana Jones composers but uh, I, I've had a good think about it and uh, this is the one for me I absolutely love it and uh, I hope you talk about uh, his, uh, his work on the Superman films anyway fantastic that you're doing this, uh, this podcast can't wait to listen to it um, there's something about film scores um, uh, you know when you love the film uh, the film score is so important to it and, uh, and the Superman theme really does it just everything about it goes with the film it's you know uh, it's just magnificent I, mean, I can't really poor say about it how much I enjoy it I've actually got it on um, on vinyl uh, single uh, the old 45 um, the, well the Superman 2 version um, and uh, I've treasured it ever since I, I remember buying it from a small record store that uh, Unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore as these vehicles still Anyway, I'm waffling on, uh, so to speak. <laughs> um, can't wait like to listen to it. Thanks so much, Vartak. Meds out.
0: Thanks for those comments, Meds. John Williams remembered, I have a particularly warm, even loving feeling for Superman, the first one. And I had that from the first day with Dick Donner and Chris Reeve. Christopher was very young at the time, and their energies together, they were magic together. Off the set, just having lunch, having dinner, playing around with the script, and certainly on the shooting. Even as late as our recording sessions, Chris was always there, he always came. He was kind of a fan, he would sit there next to the podium, or sit in the recording room, and came, I think, not to every recording session, but nearly all of them. Even though John Williams composed the original music for the first Superman, his cues and themes were used for all of the subsequent Superman movies, as modified by Ken Thorne, Alexander Courage, and John Ottman. You can listen to my additional comments on Superman music on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast number 202 and 203. 1979 saw the release of the movie Dracula, directed by John Badham and is noteworthy only as John Williams' sole attempt at gothic horror, although the tracks emphasize romance and adventure over scares. In 1980, John continued his collaboration with George Lucas with the scoring of the second Star Wars film, Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back, which introduced the Imperial March as the theme for Darth Vader and the Galactic Empire. Since by now John Williams had been collaborating with both Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, was it not only natural that the three of them should collaborate at some point? That is exactly what happened with the introduction of the Indiana Jones film franchise. In 1981, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark took to the big screen and thrilled audiences worldwide. This action-adventure film was a huge commercial and critical success, becoming the highest-grossing film of 1981. The star role of Indiana Jones was played by Harrison Ford and created a modern version of the adventure serials of the 1930s and the 1940s. Of course there is news of a fifth Indiana Jones from Spielberg and Lucas being planned for 2012 and that just may have to do with finding the long-lost tomb of Genghis Khan in Mongolia and fighting Chinese communists. But that's not a spoiler is it? In 1982, the Spielberg collaboration continued with the story of Elliot, played by Henry Thomas, a lonely boy who befriends an extraterrestrial dubbed E.T., who is stranded on Earth. Elliot, note that his name starts and ends with E.T., and his siblings and childhood friends help E.T. to return home while trying to keep it hidden from their mother and the government. The film's final chase scene on the bicycles and farewell sequence marked a rare instance in film history in which the on-screen action was re-edited to conform to the composer's musical interpretation. It is said that E.T. was based upon an imaginary friend that Spielberg created after his parents divorced in 1960. E.T. was the highest-grossing film of all time until overtaken by Titanic. John won his fourth Academy Award for the score. John Williams provided this well-known theme called The Mission for NBC Nightly News in 1985, and amazingly, 24 years later is still featured. been listening to is the theme by Williams to Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories TV series, which ran for two seasons from 1985 to 1987. Each of the 45 episodes featured an independent story similar to The Twilight Zone. However, unlike that show, it did not have a regular host. Although the stories stretched the boundaries of the believable, Spielberg's deft touch kept them real enough. The show was named after the science fiction magazine of the same name. Fortunately, you can watch all these episodes by streaming video on Netflix. In 1986, John composed a score for a juvenile space adventure movie called Space Camp, which was released only six months after the Challenger shuttle accident. It starred Kate Capshaw, who would later become Steven Spielberg's future wife in six years. Kate played a NASA camp instructor and frustrated unassigned shuttle astronaut named Andy Bergstrom. The movie resolves around four teenagers and a 12-year-old boy named Max who have gone to space camp for three weeks during summer to learn about the NASA space program and to mimic astronaut training. Max figures out how to get the real shuttle to launch with them on board, and the rest of the film covers their return to Earth. In 1987, Spielberg released Empire of the Sun, considered to be Spielberg's second Oscar bait film. It had been a long three and a half years since his last collaboration with Williams on Temple of Doom. At the time of its release, critics gave it harsh reviews. Can you imagine that? Their complaint had to do with some of the choral cues seeming to reinforce Spielberg's occasional attempts to be arty rather than simply telling the story. Let them have their criticisms. I still like this score very much. The track you've been hearing is titled Exultate Justi. Skipping past Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989, Born on the 4th of July with director Oliver Stone in 1989, and several other films we come to Home Alone in 1990 with director Chris Columbus. This first of the four Home Alone efforts was, in my opinion, the best, and an annual favorite for viewing around the holidays. Produced for a mere 18 million dollars, the first installment became a blockbuster, ultimately generating nearly a half a billion dollars in box office revenue. One of the best tracks from that effort was Somewhere In My Memory. If you listen critically, you can definitely hear elements of The Nutcracker, influencing the score. The music is so popular, you can still find this CD in the stores, especially around the holidays. 1991 Spielberg directed Hook a Peter Pan sequel it had the top director of the time an all-star cast with Robin Williams as Peter Dustin Hoffman as Hook and Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell it had lavish sets and the music by America's composer and focused on a grown-up Peter who has forgotten his childhood now known as Peter Banning Peter is a successful corporate lawyer with a wife and two children Hook kidnaps his two children, and so Peter must return to Neverland and reclaim his useful spirit as Peter Pan in order to challenge his old enemy. In spite of the Hollywood build-up and everything else going for it, this film never really took off, although it was a financial success and received multiple Academy Award nominations. And now for Vartok's most favorite John Williams score. 1993 was a true milestone for both Williams and Spielberg as their two collaborations proved to be among the most notable with Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Jurassic Park was Spielberg's first attempt since Hook, using the Michael Crichton novel of the same name. The story once again allowed Spielberg to introduce another scary film, his first since Jaws. It featured a well-rounded cast including Sam Neill, Laura Duren, Jeff Goldblum, Samuel L. Jackson, and Richard Attenborough, not to mention the fantastically realized dinosaurs by ILM using revolutionary computer-generated effects. I remember how John Williams music totally elicited in me a human emotion, and I just had to listen to it daily for a week, including asking others to listen to it as well. As I mentioned, 1993 also saw the release of Spielberg's second film of the year in Schindler's List. It is still the most acclaimed of all Spielberg's Oscar bait movies. Scott Betancourt at FilmScore Monthly notes, As a three-hour black-and-white docudrama about the Holocaust, it's almost critically unimpeachable. And despite an off-key ending, it was an impressive stylistic and dramatic achievement for the director, as well as his first R-rated film, and earned impressive grosses for a film with such a grueling subject matter. Williams' sparse score is best remembered for its emotional yet restrained main theme. Schindler also began a trend of Williams using big-name musicians in his scores, with Istock Perlman providing the film's pivotal violin solos. John's classical score was widely praised by his peers, including none other than Jerry Goldsmith, who said it was a project he himself would have loved to have scored. John Williams won his fifth Academy Award for Schindler's List, and Steven Spielberg finally won his long-awaited Best Director Oscar. Starting in 1984, John Williams began scoring themes for the Olympics. He did so in 84, 88, 96, and 2002. His Summon the Heroes in 96 is readily recognized. can't watch the Olympics anymore without John Music being featured. See if it doesn't happen again here shortly with the 2010 Winter Olympics. His music so fully represents all that is best in the human spirit. Starting out slowly and alone, but building and building to a jubilant ending. You just can't help but feel uplifted by all of those brass instruments. I am skipping over both of the films Sabrina and Nixon for 1995. Sleepers in 1996, Rosewood in 1997, and Jurassic Park, The Lost World in 1997, until we come to Seven Years in Tibet, released in 1997. This film starring Brad Pitt is based upon the book of the same name, written by Austrian mountaineer Heinrich Harrer, based upon his experiences in Tibet between 1944 and 1951, which included the Second World War, the Interim Period, and the Chinese People's Liberation Army's invasion of Tibet in 1950. The film plot is interwoven with the story of the young Dalai Lama, who grows from an eight-year-old boy into the spiritual leader of the Tibetans. In this film, John Williams once again featured a star musician with Yo-Yo Ma, providing cello solos in this restrained score. The music was somber and evoked, but did not overemphasize the setting in Tibet. In 1997, Spielberg returned to Oscar bait again with Amistad, a historical drama about a mutiny on a slave ship. Williams mixed in Americana material with Africa-themed cues. Next up was Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan. It had been a long time since Hollywood had made an epic World War II movie. This drama, featuring Tom Hanks as Captain John Miller, captures the life and death struggle of Charlie Company as they cope with the perils of landing on Omaha Beach during the Normandy invasion and their subsequent orders to rescue Private James Ryan somewhere in Normandy so that his parents did not have to condemn with being notified of the death of four sons on the same day. Let's listen to Hymn to the Fallen and input from Trexan Sci-Fi listener Pete Folds on why this soundtrack appealed so much to him.
6: Vartok and hello Rico and the Trexan sci-fi community this is Pete from Philadelphia also known as Brompton boy on the forums I wanted to stop being a podcast lurker and uh, finally get around and send in an audio contribution to the show so I thought Vartok's cast would be the perfect venue for me to start John Williams Ah, so many to choose from so many songs and scores to choose from where do I start Uh, How do I make a call like that? Well, instead of me picking the very obvious selections that I know uh, everybody else is thinking about, uh, Star Wars, I will give you my alternative top three list. Uh, Number three, I'm going to read them backwards. Number three for me would be uh, Lost in Space. Um, I believe that he wrote the opening tune to Lost in Space, one of my favorite shows as a kid, uh, which I watched in reruns. Uh, I can't hear that music without wondering what hijinks Dr. Smith is up to again this week. Uh, John Williams captured the, the light kind of airy and comedic tone of that program. Uh, you know, he seems to be able to do that with any movie. Number two for me would be Jaws. I was a young boy when this was released and that movie made a big splash in pop culture. Sorry about that, I had to say that. Uh, the, that foreboding music that uh, that always heralds the arrival of the shark uh, has really become an icon in pop culture. Uh, one of my favorite parodies of that is, uh, if you'll recall, the Rodney Dangerfield movie Caddy Shack where uh, there's a Babe Ruth bar floating in the water of uh, the pool as all the caddies are swimming. And Imitation is the highest form of flattery. My number one pick will be Saving Private Ryan. This one never fails to move me. Uh, the score has a real noble and quiet dignity about it. Uh, all the, from the flashback scenes to the actual storming of the beaches in Normandy. It's very uh, very beautiful music. Uh, uh, as I said, you know, he seems to have the gift to be able to create the perfect musical match for any script that he turns his hand to. Well, that's all for me, signing off from Philadelphia. I'll see you all in the forums. And remember, there is no sanctuary. Thanks for your
0: comments, Pete. I also have to concur with the spiritual beauty and emotions that this music elicits. By the way, Spielberg won his second Best Director Oscar for Saving Private Ryan. In 1999, George Lucas returned to Star Wars with the prequel trilogy after an unbearable 16-year hiatus to tell us the story about how young Anakin became the evil Darth Vader. Let's hear
2: William talk about that experience. It makes me enormously fortunate to be working with George to to have the opportunity that this particular genre of film offers it's almost unique really in in the, in the contemporary I mean there are other examples I suppose m- m- f- um, evita would be another kind of example where this is basically an opera but but I've been I've been uh, uniquely I think uniquely fortunate in having the opportunity to do these films and to as I've said before sort of continue to accompany George on this great uh, journey that he's on, which, se- which seems, seems now to be a, 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 a life's work journey with George Lucas. George, over the years, I think has kept in touch uh, pretty comfortably. I mean, I, Phantom Menace would be an example of, of, of talking about the process he probably rang me a year ago to tell me that that the time was coming, that his script was was going to be ready and that he was about ready to shoot the film and that the music would be needed by such and such a time in the calendar. And then I would get another phone call two or three months later and he would fix a spotting date where we go in, in a dark room and talk about where the music is going to go and what it should do, etc. Um, so that I, I've been sort of on, on alert from George that, that he wished me to do this perhaps a year before I did it. The working process is really, um, again, the kind of classic setup where we run a film that's either empty, that doesn't have any music, or you may have a temporary music track of some classical music or some other film scores, or maybe even some music of mine, put in behind the the film to give some kind of impression of what's wanted. And we have a discussion where well, we'll play the music here, we will play it there, and George will uh, say things like it ought to be, c- it ought to get quicker here, or softer, or the, you know, do, make some gesture here, and then discuss the sort of general contours and choreography of the, for the music. And then I go off to my my studio here at Amblin and down in Los Angeles, some miles away from where George is, and write the score. And that's been the the way we've worked. A lot of times you will you'll get more from a piece than you expected you to get. There's, there's more than the sum of the parts there, or sometimes less. And and that's, a, that's the magical part of it. It's an acoustic phenomenon that when you pile all the sounds up with the orchestra, you finally find out in the scene where well, we've got more than we thought we were going to have here. And we may, then, we, we, we may then have to make some adjustments in other sound effects, for example, that the film is also replete with, full of. Um, it's a good collaboration and a good uh, George, is, George, like his contemporaries, also is technically good. I mean, he's, he owns a studio, he's got recording equipment, he's got a music recording stage. I mean, he's not just a guy that's behind a camera and doesn't think about all of the mechanique of what, what goes into making a film. He's, he's plugged into all of this.
0: Few composers have ever scored an entire series of this magnitude, All told, the combined scores for all six Star Wars films exceeds 14 hours for a full orchestra to perform in its entirety. The most famous themes he created for the space-based saga include the Emperor's theme, the Imperial March, Across the Stars, Duel of the Fates, A Hero Falls, the Force theme, Rebel Fanfare, Luke's theme, and of course, Princess Leia's theme. Originally, David Arnold of Independence Day and James Bond fame was supposed to compose the music for The Patriot, which was released in 2000. However, David had a falling out with Roland Emmerich, and the baton literally fell to John Williams. With a period settings for the 1770s, this was the earliest time period for a Williams score. Unless, of course, you count Star Wars being a long time ago. The film stars Mel Gibson as Benjamin Martin, a South Carolinian veteran of the French and Indian wars, and a widower raising his seven children. Gabriel, his eldest son, played by Heath Ledger, is anxious to join the Revolutionary War and fight the British. Knowing the horrors of war, Benjamin tries to avoid getting involved, but must ultimately fight to save his sons. Also for Star Trek fans, René Aubergenois i.e. Odo, played Reverend Oliver in this film. By now, having been composing for over four decades, you might think that John Williams was winding down. But his next score easily put that thought back up onto the top shelf of the cupboard. For in 2001, Steven Spielberg, once again after another three-year hiatus since Private Ryan, brought us AI, artificial intelligence, and arguably William's best score in two decades. While you would have no doubt that this is the work of John Williams based upon its sound, he also ventured into techno and an expert infusion of minimalism, where his work is stripped down to its most fundamental features. Originally, Stanley Kubrick was going to direct this film, but he felt that the computer-generated imagery was not advanced enough to create David, the boy robot developed to fill the place of a child in the mid-22nd century. It wasn't until Kubrick's death in 1999 that Spielberg started seriously developing this film, which he dedicated to Kubrick. Starting in 2001, the Harry Potter series of books were introduced to the big screen, was an amazingly quick transition from book to screen. J.K. Rowling's series of seven fantasy novels were first introduced in 1997 in the U.S., and took the world by storm to critical acclaim and commercial success. The first novel was renamed from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in the U.S. in 1998 which Rowling now regrets. So far, six of the seven novels have been made into film box office smash hits, with the seventh novel due to be split into two movies. John Williams seemed to be the obvious choice for the start of a new film franchise, and he did score the first three installments. The second film, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, went into production immediately after the release of the first film and was released in 2002 which did not allow John Williams sufficient time to score it completely. So he provided a large portion of thematic material and individual cues with William Ross adapting the rest. By contract, John Williams was also on board to score the third book with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Although John did not score installments four through six, his Hedwig's theme has been used, and fans now associate his music for all of the Harry Potter movies, like they do for Star Wars, Jaws, Superman, and the Indiana Jones series. And there is a chance that John may return for the final novel for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. But I have jumped too far ahead. Let's momentarily return back to 2002, when John was asked to score the music to the film Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, and Minority Report was Tom Cruise. His third score for 2002 was Catch Me If You Can, featuring Leonardo DiCaprio as a 1960s con man named Frank Abagnale Jr., and Tom Hanks as FBI agent Carl Hanratty, who was trying to catch Frank. film was that John Williams' style is completely different from his preceding work, that is 1960s jazzy and like the Mancini of his earliest years. Who says all of John Williams' music is the same is not truly listening. After completing The Terminal in 2004 with Spielberg and Star Wars Episode III, The Revenge of the Sith, in 2005 with Lucas. John Williams was asked to compose for War of the Worlds, also with director Steven Spielberg and, again, actor Tom Cruise. This megabucks version of the H.G. Wells novel was a faithful attempt to the novel, but in a contemporary setting, and Spielberg's set pieces were just amazing. Williams took an atypical approach, using his full orchestral resources to build the suspense and the war, but he did not use a central melody to tie it together. I am nearly done relating John's works. Also in 2005, he provided the score to Memoirs of a Geisha, produced by Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Once again, Williams was reunited with cellist Yo-Yo Ma and violinist Ixtac Perlman, providing, quote, some of the most gorgeous work of his later career, effectively mixing Eastern and Western musical elements and dominated by a luscious main theme that may be Williams's most memorable theme of the last two decades, unquote. You are now listening to The Chairman's Waltz. In 2005, John provided a fourth score for the film Munich, directed by Steven Spielberg. This is a film that is a historical fiction account of the Israeli government's secret retaliation after the 1972 Munich massacre of 11 Israeli Olympic athletes by black September terrorists. After a three-year break, John Williams's most recent work has been the score for the fourth installment of the Indiana Jones franchise, with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in 2008. Even at age 77, John Williams is still going strong. He is said to be working on the score that is in post-production to Spielberg's The Adventures of Tintin, Secret of the Unicorn, while also working with director Peter Jackson for the first time with a 2011 planned release. John is also set to work on the Spielberg project's Harvey, lincoln and interstellar i supposed i couldn't attempt to tell the story of john williams without mentioning his long association with the boston pops orchestra he was the principal conductor from 1980 to 1993 succeeding arthur fiedler today he is the laureate conductor of the pops thus maintaining his affiliation with its parent the boston symphony orchestra As a result, he leads the Pops on several occasions each year, particularly during the holiday Pops season, and for a week of concerts in May. He conducts an annual film night at both Boston Symphony Hall and Tanglewood, where he frequently enlists the Tanglewood Festival Chorus to provide choral accompaniment to his films, such as Saving Private Ryan. John Williams has also written many concert pieces not associated with television and films, but we just don't have time to start down that road. To summarize how well the works of John Williams has been accepted, let me list them. John has won a total of five Academy Awards, or Oscars, out of 45 nominations. He's won four Golden Globe Awards out of 21 nominations. He's also received three Emmys, seven BAFTAs, and has received 20 Grammy Awards out of 59 nominations. In 2004, he received a Kennedy Center Award. And in 2003, the International Olympic Committee awarded John Williams its highest individual honor, the Olympic Order. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment. I hope you enjoyed hearing about John Williams as much as I did researching to learn more about him. Next week, Rico will be back with another Treks and Sci-Fi podcast featuring the Enterprise episode titled The Enar. And in two weeks' time, a special podcast on the Fellowship of the Ring. I'm pretty sure that if you want to provide audio comments about either one of these, you can send them in to Rico. For now, this is Vartok signing off for the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast.